it's a call to action to the fraternity to save this craft that's been around for over 300 years. We need to be proactive and try to sustain what we have. Otherwise, this great fraternity that has changed my life, changed several men's lives that I know, will continue to change people's lives. We have to remember that we have to represent the fraternity well. We have to continue to bring in good men. We have to educate them. And we have to learn from them as they learn from us. And we just have to keep that cement that bends us together and keep that strong. Otherwise, I'm fearful of what we lose because I think masonry has such an impact on the world. We may not even know it, but it does. And the second that goes away, then what do we have? to the Perfect Ashler podcast. I'm Chris Galloway, past master of Valley High Lodge 1407 in San Antonio, Texas. Hello, I'm John Hudson, junior deacon at Valley High Lodge number 1407 in San Antonio, Texas. As a reminder, this is a podcast that is reflective of my opinion and Brother John Hudson's opinion. It does not represent any Grand Lodge statement or standings. Today on the podcast, it is my honor to be interviewing our host, Brother Christopher Galloway. So he has a new book out titled Leading from the East, Innovative Strategies for Masonic Lodges. We're going to go ahead and jump right in. I'm going to give a brief bio of Chris, then he's going to talk about his journey to the East and we'll get more into the book. Thanks a lot, John. I appreciate it. <laughs> Brother Chris Galloway is the past master and current secretary of Valley High Lodge number 1407. As worshipful master, he applied his business and organizational leadership knowledge to a very successful year for his lodge. He is a member of the Texas Lodge of Research and the San Antonio Scottish Rite. Brother Galloway was raised in January of 2015 at Valley High Lodge number 1407 in San Antonio, Texas. When he was raised, he worked as a teacher, coach for a San Antonio, Texas high school. Since becoming a master mason, Brother Galloway has successfully moved from teacher to assistant principal to principal to director of teaching and learning and completed his PhD in school improvement from Texas State University. He credits his success to his application of the tenets of Freemasonry to his life. Brother Galloway is married to his wife, Kimberly, and has two beautiful children, Thomas and Gabriella. Brother Galloway is passionate about growing leaders in Freemasonry and in the educational field. He started a publishing company, Perfect Ashler Publishing, to help other authors get their message out to the world. Brother Galloway loves to hear 
from his readers and can be reached at perfectpressurepublishing.com. Let's get into your book here. You kick off your book with a section entitled Journey to the East. So why did you choose to? Thanks, John. I think it was important for readers to know how I got to the East. Everybody's journey is different. I started off with just talking about how I came to masonry, how important masonry is to me and that aspect and wanted to touch upon the fact that like many Masons, I learned about masonry through a family experience. Mine was a little unique because my step-grandfather, so my my mom married my stepdad and my step-grandfather, the first time I met him, by that point, he had already had a stroke a few years before and, and couldn't speak and was paralyzed on his left side, but he loved St. Louis Cardinals baseball and he loved to watch the game, but he always wore his square and compass ring, which had a G in it. Our last name was Galloway. That's my stepdad's last name. And he adopted me. So I took on his last name when I was 17. I always thought the G stood for Galloway and learned later on that it really was a Masonic symbol for geometry or for God. I used to watch St. Louis Cardinals games with him and he would always have men come over and visit with him. And later down the road, a few years later, when I was a teenager, he moved in with us with his wife so we could help take care of them. And there was a neighbor who kept coming over to sit on the porch and visit with him and talk to him. When he passed away, when I was 19, it was at his funeral, that neighbor showed up, learned later on that neighbor was a past master himself, led the Masonic funeral for my grandfather. And at the time, I just knew that there was something I was interested in. And, you know, I learned a little bit about it through movies and things like that. But I just wasn't really mature enough to take that leap and knock on that door. It wasn't until I hit rock bottom in my own life. I got divorced and was living in a one-bedroom apartment, trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life and career. And I decided to seek some brotherly love and knocked on the door of Valley High. I think it's also, it was important to highlight that, like many other lodges, Valley High was in a state of recycling past masters to the east and not having a lot of new members coming in. I think a lot of experiences that some brothers have is that they get thrown into the lineup pretty quickly. That was my experience. As soon as I was raised in January, by June, I was a, a junior deacon. Some traditional brothers may think that that's too quick and that someone can't be successful when they have that quick of an experience. But I think that it is possible by leaning on your other officers, as well as bringing experiences that you've had outside of masonry, that you can find that success. So really, to wrap it up, all in all, it was to just to paint a picture of how I got to the East, how I came to masonry, just so that I can connect a little bit with the readers. And, you know, hopefully somebody's had that similar experience and knows that just because you were thrown into the East quickly doesn't mean you can't be successful as a worship master. Thank you for that. We all have our own journey to the East, right? Our own journey, period. I have not been to the East as of yet. So I'm a, going on my second year as a master mason, but I've, I've gained so much insight and knowledge from your book, Chris as I continue my Masonic path. I appreciate that. It wasn't just to help people who were in the East or about to be in the East. It was to shed some light on the journey and the path and what kind of skills and what success looks like so that people may decide to to go to the East. Or if I am a past master and maybe, you know, my year didn't go as well as I thought, or maybe it went well. And now, you know, after a few more recycled past masters, things have fallen off a little bit to kind of show past masters how to get back into their lodge and um, revitalize it and be active again. 
Well, rolling into the way you open your book, one of your first chapters in this book is 21st Century Worshipful Master. Can you expound a little bit on why you chose that to give everyone the grounding that being a worshipful master in the 21st century, is it's different? Really, it comes down to one of the main topics of my book, which is building your why, right? One thing that I talk about a lot in the book is the need to start with your why so that you can get your message across to your brothers. You need to build your why because everybody makes decisions based on emotions. So for the reader, I was building the why it was important to lead a lodge as if it was the 21st century and not as if it was the early 20th century. When I came into Masonry, the Grand Lodge of Texas just barely had a back office for brothers to track their years of service. We still haven't got to the point where we can pay our dues online. We had to be creative in our own lodge to do that through using different things, uh, PayPal, things like that. Now that our Grand Lodge of Texas is just now getting to the point of getting digital. We have so many tools at our fingertips that we don't use. We need to use those to help us. But I also think that if we're going to attract younger members, we have to be active on social media. If we're going to keep brothers around, you won't always get them to come to lodge twice a week. Some of the older members will show up, not some of the younger. But if you have a Zoom meeting with Masonic Education, you're more likely to get a younger member on. So it was really to build that why it's important to consider a shift in thinking to doing some of these innovative strategies that we did at Valley High. Now that you have your why, you've talked to us about that. You did a fantastic job of breaking the why into the next step of establishing organizational goals. You took a very strategic approach. You talked us a little bit about like why you need to bring all of the officers together, as well as all of the lodge members into building the strategic plan. And then if you could expound more on the goals that were established. The reason why it's important to involve all the officers in your lineup, and for me, that was junior deacon on up to worship master, is because when you have an organization that changes leadership every single year, you can't sustain anything. Any changes or implementations can't be sustained. I work in education, and, and I think education similar to other business fields. We always say that it takes three to five years to make sustainable change. Well, if we had a new principal at a school every single year, then there's no way to sustain that change because we're constantly turning over leadership and people are bringing in new ideas and new goals. And so for me, I wanted to try to sustain our lodge by getting all the officers on the same page. So instead of it being about what Worship Master Galloway's experiences are and goals, it's about what is the officers of Valley High Lodge thinks our lodge needs. And it brings in that group think of strategy planning, where we talk about collaborate and talk about what our lodge needs and what John Hudson sees as needing for Valley High may be different from what Galloway sees. But then when we come together, we meld it together and then we come up with sustainable goals. Now, if it works out correctly and all the officers in that lineup eventually make it to the East, the hope is, is that those overarching goals stay the same. And then the only thing that changes is maybe the approach or a couple additional strategies, or if we meet a goal, then we go back and kind of alter a little bit. But for me, it was about trying to sustain the change. My fear was, is that 
you know, all this work that I've done with other worship masters up to the point coming to the East was a lot of work. And then I get to the East and then, you know, we have goals that we establish. And then if I leave the East and someone new comes in, that that just all falls apart and goes away. And we want, I wanted to try to prevent that from happening as best as possible. But sometimes things happen and, you know, the pandemic happens and, you know, people's work schedules change or they move and, and some of those people follow the lineup. So it's incredibly important that as a past master that I try to stay involved to lead the lodge to continuing what we've started. And really this book, as much as it is to help people from around the world, it's also a blueprint for Valley High. Right. So moving forward, you know, this all worship masters here on out, if they had a copy of this or pick it up from the lodge library in Valley High Lodge, then, you know, hopefully they would see that and, and want to continue with some of the great things that we started. Thank you, brother, for that. And I will let our listeners know that I was honored to serve on committees during your year. And your constant engagement really kept us fueled up and fired up. And, and that's important is we all as brothers have our, our family lives and our usual vocations and everything, but you made sure that when there wasn't enough time of silence in between, you, you made sure that we had the momentum going. So I personally appreciate that you know, as well. Getting down into what those goals were and what we all came up with as a lodge, you outlined three goals in your book. Goal number one is lodge sustainability. Goal number two is lodge uh, facilities. And goal number three was education. Let's take apart those three, okay? So first, let's talk about, and we did touch a little bit on lodge sustainability, but is there anything else you'd like to talk to our listeners about regarding lodge sustainability? Yeah, so I think that lodge sustainability became number one because if there's no lodge, you can't get to the other stuff. Right. So if our lodge decides it needs to dissolve and it looked like based on what we looked at for the numbers and based on the audits that we had about maybe four to five years before we were going to have to shut our doors. And so we had to look at what we were going to do to, to maintain that. Number one was our finances and we hadn't raised dues in over 10 years. So we had to raise dues. That was the number one thing. And we talk about the strategies in the book with the slides we used for our readers so they can go back and look at that and see exactly what that strategy was. We had to successfully raise dues and we did. We raised it from $100 a year to $150 a year. And we also raised our degree fees. We raised all the degree fees to $150 per degree. And part of that is because inflation goes up and if your dues stay the same, then there's no change. And so as our electricity goes up, our water bill goes up, um, our alarm cost goes up, all those things increase we start to see that our dues aren't matching what inflation's matching. And so it was important to, to make that correlation. We first had to sustain that. And then it was about how do we get members and then how do we keep members? And part of the next goal, which is facilities, the way our lodge looks, the way we present it as a first impression to new members coming in is incredibly important. And I go super deep in that in the book, because if you can't, show members that you care about your lodge and you don't have a place that they feel comfortable coming to, you're not going to get those members. And the other piece is cost. So, which goes back to lodge sustainability, right? So it all ties together. As things break down, as your AC goes out, as your hot water heater goes out, as different things break down in the lodge, you have to make sure your lodge facilities is 
up to code, that it's safe and that's presentable, but also that you have good, strong warranties on everything that you repair so that if it goes out or goes bad, that your lodge can, can fix that without breaking the bank. With the lodge facilities as well, one thing that you implemented during your year was a work day for the brothers. And whether it be once a month, sometimes it was twice a month, sometimes it was eight times a month <laughs> uh, to come together and just do yard work make sure that the the lodge was up to par when we had visitors and so on and so forth. I will tell you from personal experience is there was a time that I was out there at, at the lodge. We had several brothers out there. We had brothers that brought their children, you know, out there and other family members to help. And I happened to be weed eating at the time. And I remember looking back and seeing one of our brothers actually on the roof and I saw another brother just in the corner uh, cutting grass and, and so on and so forth. And it was just like, it, it was just a magical moment of everybody coming together and really kind of a outright example of what masonry kind of is and looks like everybody coming together for the greater good. I do want to add, Chris, with that is the community sees that. The community saw that. And we are a beacon of hope and a beacon of light for community, your leadership during that year, bringing us all together and continuing to, it's not just that year, it's got to continue, you know? So thank you for laying that groundwork for all of us. Yeah, I appreciate that. And you're right, because we had a couple neighbors <laughs> come by and thank us because we repainted the lodge, the outside of the lodge and some other things, taking some graffiti off the lodge, the side of the lodge. Several people made the comment, that we thought the lodge was closed. We thought this place was abandoned. And by fixing it up, that helped. And, and you're right about the camaraderie that came from doing that. It may be a little cliche, but I think about the builders of the past working on a building or working on a temple. The lodge is our temple and we should treat it as such. And when we came together to work on it, that was a, a prideful moment for me as well. And, you know, the things we couldn't handle, we formed partnerships with the community college to try to get them to come in with their students, which is part of the education piece. That was our goal was to support education. You know, it was really cool to see these students in there working on our lodge. Even we brought prospects to the lodge to help us work on it. You know, some of them petitioned and I think some didn't and it's okay because we worked together on that. Well, that brings us to our, our third goal, which is education. I will share with our listeners a personal account of how you as Worshipful Master not only pushed education, but made sure when it comes to our esoteric work and proficiencies, that education was strong and the accountability was there. So I will give a personal account of that I really appreciated and kind of saw from my own eyes. Talk to us more about the education piece and that bedrock, because even though it's number three, you can filter through all three of them. Sure. Yeah. And education is super important for me because I'm in education. So I know the importance of education, not just in masonry, but also public education for our kids and as well as adults continuing our education in ways through podcasts or books and things like that. That's how we grow as individuals. And for the lodge, once you got past sustainability and facilities, now it's time to help our brothers grow as masons and men. And that was what was important to me. We wanted to to try to push that. For our listeners, we didn't focus on education so much as far as outside of the esoteric work until the pandemic hit. So when the pandemic hit, to bring the lodge together, we started doing a 
online Zoom once a week on Tuesdays. And through that Zoom, we had Masonic education, whether it was myself or Brother Boyd, our, our education officer, presenting either a presentation or it was our younger EAs and Fellcraft and Master Masons creating a presentation and presenting what they learned to the brothers through a Zoom. And we recorded that and sent it out to all our brothers. We have 115 members around the world. It was really cool to see that some of them started to re-engage with the lodge that hadn't been engaged with our Blue Lodge in a long time. In particular, we had a brother in Spain who was emailing me constantly about, you know, how he really appreciated getting those Zooms. And then he would send me some feedback and send me some other education stuff that we could share with the brothers. So that was really cool to see. Yeah, I think education is incredibly important because a lot of brothers come to masonry, not just for the the community or the brotherly connections, but for the education piece. They want to grow as individuals and, and that's why they're there. You pushed education and accountability and responsibility. I'll share a personal account of this that I witnessed firsthand. Like I said before, all brothers have different obligations that we're all trying to prioritize and we're all trying to do. We're all trying, but we need to get our work done and we need to be diligent about doing so. I was in a predicament where I had a lot of various priorities going on and I was working on a section of the degree. I came in to do my proficiency in front of the lodge, in front of our brothers. I was probably halfway through when you really felt that I didn't have the work fully down as I should. And you called it, you stopped it, and you asked me to go back and continue on that work and and gave me an extension. That meant a lot to me personally, because while I was doing it, I was upset at myself because I'm like, I'm not passing. I better not pass through this. <laughs> like there, you know, someone better not say, Hey brothers, let's pass John Hudson on to the next round. I would not felt good. I probably would. I would have said, no, I want to do this again. If I can, why did you call that? Why did you stop it? And has that been historically, is that something that we've done? Yeah. So it, that's not easy. From your perspective, in the sense that, you know, you were struggling and this is our stated meeting. So we had a lodge full of our brothers and we had a couple visitors from other lodges that were there just visiting. I remember you were stumbling through the catechism, the return. As I was sitting in the East and about halfway through, I decided to stop you because number one, I didn't want you to continue embarrassing yourself in a sense, I guess is a great word, because I could see you were stumbling and sweating. And as you go through it and you don't know the work completely or you forget it, you get embarrassed and nervous. I wanted to make sure that as Valley High, we put out a good product. We put out a good service, so to speak. And having visitors at our state of meeting and seeing that, if we would have allowed you to pass on, then that would have sent a message to the community and other lodges that, hey, Valley High doesn't have good quality work. But also you as the master mason or the brother would not have the same experience of knowing it and the importance of that. I mean, there's a reason why we do it. It's so that the brothers can know what they've gone through and the meaning behind it and the purpose to it. And if you had just stumbled through it, then like you said, that wouldn't have been a good experience for you. To be honest, I've seen brothers who were not fully prepared or who were too nervous and stumbled through it, and we still passed them on. And for me, that's embarrassing because 
again, we should be putting out a good product. But I remember you came back and you knew it almost word for word the next month. So I think that experience, you learned from it too. Down the road, you know, if you're going to be helping with a degree, I bet you you'll know your work before you get there. So it's a, it was a good experience for you too. I, I talk about in the book how when you're worshipful master, you have to make decisions that aren't always easy. And you have to make the decisions that's best for the brothers and for the lodge. Was it easy for me to stop you in the middle? It wasn't easy for me to stop you in the middle of your catechism. And it wasn't easy for me to say in front of the lodge, Brother Hudson, you need to go back and and study some more and come back ready. I think it's just about how you approach it. But conflict isn't easy. And you weren't the first person in my year that we had to do that for. There was a couple of brothers that we had to do that for. But I think all the brothers learned from it. Now they are, are about to be master masons. And so they did make it through successfully. And I'll tell you, on the flip side of that, from my perspective, if I was passed through, I would have had some loss of respect a little bit in kind of the work, right? In the lodge, you know, not not so much to work, but I'm like, wow, okay. It's an expectation that now I have. It's what's needed. So thank you for that, Chris, for bringing that to our lodge. Your book starts with a call to action and it ends with a call to actions. As we round this out, what is your call to action to all of our brothers out there? Yeah, it's interesting because I think about the fact that this book was not only for people not at Valley High, it was for Valley High. And, you know, my call to action to my own lodge is to continue the progress. Don't stop. Don't sit back and you know let things go to the wayside because you know I'm no longer in the East or the other officers in the lineup. Some of those officers have dipped out because of career changes and things like that. So we can't stop the progress because if we stop the progress, then what's going to happen to Valley High? Valley High is going to shut down. Um, my wife and I belong to the Eastern Star, and we literally just got a letter the other day that they're about to fold up shop. They're going to be merging probably with another Eastern Star chapter. And that's the last thing we want to do as Valley High, because if you fold up and you join another lodge and it's in another facilities, we lose our history. I mean, essentially, you know, our past master pictures come down or past worship master pictures come down and, you know, we lose that identity of what Valley High is and has been for 50 years. My call to action to Valley High is that, but then my call to action to the other brothers is a little selfish about the entire fraternity. Because if we start folding up lodges one by one, then eventually we lose our fraternity. And if we don't start taking a 21st century approach while maintaining the traditional practices, it's possible. It's possible to keep our history. It's possible to keep our traditions and still attract newer members who are millennials, Gen Z are starting to hit 18 years old now. My son's 15 in three years. He's eligible to become a Mason. We don't know where we're going to be at in that sense as a fraternity. It's a call to action to the fraternity to save this craft that's been around for over 300 years. Now, of course, there are several arguments to the fact that, well, we've made it through several wars and we've made it through pandemics and the fraternity has lasted. That's true. But it's interesting because I was watching a documentary last night on Netflix, The Last Blockbuster, and I used to work at Blockbuster. And Blockbuster, there was a store opening every 17 minutes in the United States at one point. And now we're down to one blockbuster. It's in Bend, Oregon. The last thing I want is to be saying that the fraternity is going to be fine 
And then here we are 50 years from now with the last lodge somewhere in some random place. That's the last thing I want. While, yes, we've made it through so much as a fraternity over the, the years, but we need to be proactive and try to sustain what we have. Otherwise, this great fraternity that has changed my life, changed several men's lives that I know, will continue to change people's lives, has seen a lot that can just impact it. It could just go away. Look at what the Morgan Affair did. One incident. We All we need is one bad press. I'm on several social media groups on Facebook. Lately, I don't even get on those groups anymore because of the negativity and the things going on. We have to remember that we have to represent the fraternity well. We have to continue to bring in good men. We have to educate them. And we have to learn from them as they learn from us. And we just have to keep that cement that bends us together and keep that strong. Otherwise, I'm fearful of what we lose because I think masonry has such an impact on the world. We may not even know it, but it does. And the second that goes away, then what do we have? Well, brother, thank you so much for that. And thank you so much for your light and your insight and bringing it out to the world through, through this book. You're a published author now. I don't know if that's something that you thought 10 years ago was going to be the case, but you are now and your book is starting to spread. So I want to encourage our listeners to pick it up. Where can our listeners find out more about your work, brother? One of the things I wanted to do, like you said, was becoming a published author. It was a process. It was a lot of work, learning all the nuances to it. But one of the things that I wanted to do was give back to our brothers by forming a publishing company. So I formed a publishing company to publish my book, but then I want to help other brothers publish their book at no cost to them. I'm not going to charge them to do it. Just we'll split the royalties. And there are several publishers out there that they only pay 7% royalties to their authors. If we get 70% from Amazon, which is where my book is, then I take care of all the the needs of the book, get it published, take all the risk um, financially. And the brothers and I will split the profits 35%. I'll tell you that if you listen to episode five, if you haven't listened to episode five, the, the episode before this one with Chris Williams, that is the reason why I'm doing it. It's not to make money. It's to number one, spread light, So more Masonic books, because there's not a whole lot of them out there. We wanted to make sure that we could do that. But number two was, if you listen to Chris and the way he talks about how important it is for him to see his words and his character come to life in a published book, that is why I I do what I do for that. Our listeners can go to the website, which is perfectashlerpublishing.com. I'm on social media, Twitter, at Ashler Perfect on Twitter. We're on Instagram, Perfect Ashler on Instagram. Together, we can publish these books. When someone picks up my book and then they go to perfectashlerpublishing.com, they see all our other authors. When someone picks up another author's book, they pick up Chris Williams' book about John Deacon, then they see my book. So we kind of help each other in that sense of spreading the word about all of our books. So it's to spread more light and to make sure that we help authors that are Masonic get out their work. And even if it's not a nonfiction book, it can be a fictional book. It can be something related. I have an author right now who's writing a fictional book that's kind of like a horror book, but it's got a Mason as the main character. So, you know, it doesn't matter. We want to help get the word out there and help authors publish their books. So if you think you want to publish your book, definitely reach out to me, perfectashlerpublishing.com. Or if you want to 
pick up our books and see what books we have out there. That's definitely the place to go. And in the near future, we're going to be publishing some public domain books. We're revamping them, re-editing them, putting them out there. Some books from the 1800s that people can pick up that you can't find anymore. Definitely keep an eye out and, and check it out. That's great to hear. A lot more to come. Thank you so much for your time today, Chris. This was great just to kind of flip the script a little bit. You're usually leading our podcast as our host and I'm a co-host, but it was great just talking to you. And just on a personal note, thank you for putting this out for your leadership, not only to our Masonic community, but also to me as an individual. I really take everything that you've broken down in the book and there's so many applications to that. You see a lot of applications to not only our Masonic lodges, but also to our family life, our homes, as well as our vocations. So great work, great work. I encourage everyone to go out and pick up a copy. Right now you can get it paperback and you can get it through Kindle. Have you thought about an audio version of this? Yes, actually. So that's kind of the next arena I'm going to probably dip into a little bit, not only for my book, but I think that Chris Williams's book on John Deacon would be fantastic in an audio version. But yeah, so that's kind of the next step is to start looking at, at getting these out into the audio sphere. It's a little bit different process than publishing. Yeah, I think that's going to be the next step for this book and probably for Chris's as well. Awesome. Great. Well, I'll hand it back to you and we'll, we'll close it out. Episode six is in the books. I'd love to hear from you. So if you want to send us a note, drop us an email, go ahead and do that and let us know what you think about the podcast. Um, subscribe to it. We hope to put one out at least once a month uh, so our brothers can, can hear about new books and things that are important to masonry. Until next time, make sure that you keep chipping away at that rough ashlar and keep molding yourself into the perfect ashlar and be good upright masons and stay on the level. 